So find your place with me in 3 John. We're going to pick up where we left off. 3 John. And we're looking at verses 5 through 8. Talking about this postcard from a friend. I love this, this short letter, yet it's packed so full of substance as all the scriptures are. Uh, some of you might have thought it might, would be difficult finding four messages. We could probably find a dozen messages just in this one book. Um, but beginning at verse 5, he says, Dear friend, you are showing your faith by whatever you do for the brothers. Showing your faith by whatever you do. Keep that in mind. And this you are doing for strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles or from the pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Father, we do, again, thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just give you praise for how you've worked marvelously in our lives, in our church, and among so many people this week. We can't help but say how marvelous, how wonderful, Lord, is your love for us. And Lord, I pray that we would take this love to the world, continue to be with those just that need a special touch from you today of healing, of strength, of grace, of courage, wherever they are. Speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. I heard the story this week that um, God had given some of his angels an assignment. He sent them to the United States of America to check things out. He sent one first and said, I want you to go tell me how things are going uh, according to your observations in the United States of America. The angel came back and said, in the United States of America, 95% of the people are just wicked. There's about 5% that are pretty good, but I'm 95%. Lord, they don't, they don't have a clue what's going on. And so another angel was looking on curiously, and he said, well, why don't you go and see if you observe the same thing? The angel came back and said, well, God, I saw the same thing. 95% of them lack uh, any wisdom at all from above. They don't have a clue. They're just 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 don't understand uh, the difference between right and wrong, but 5%, 5% are doing great, God. A third angel looking on curiously, God said, you want to go make an observation too, being God? He really knew the state of our nation. And, and so the third angel came back and, and said, I, I'm giving the same report they gave. I mean, 95% of those living in America, just they're clueless, but, but 5% are God, they're just kind of doing great. And so God said, yeah, as the, as the angel said, Lord, what are you going to do about it? He said, he said you know, they, they spend more time reading their email today in America than they do reading their Bible or anything else. But I'm going to interrupt the email address of that 5% that are doing well. He said, I, I'm going to kind of take over the Internet. and They're not going to know it except for that 5%. That 5% doing great, they're going to get an encouraging email from me, signed, God. And, and, and that's going to lift their spirits to, to be an influence on all the others around them. I heard that story this week. 
you get the email? <laughs> I didn't figure you did. No, I'm just <laughs> Sometimes we wait on God to just kind of interrupt and tell us we're doing right, don't we? We wait on God to intervene and say, hey, you're doing great. To get a message from God, maybe if I get an email, maybe if I watch the right TV show, the right movie, I'll get that word of encouragement. Uh, folks, the Bible is God's love letter to us. And as I said last week, I'm glad that we can read it on our computer. I'm glad we can open up our phones and see that we have a message from God in his word. But we have this wonderful letter Third John wrote, a postcard from a friend, a word of encouragement, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and as applicable today for you and for me as it ever has been. The story I shared, obviously, a moment ago is a fictional account. So if you were wondering, man, I didn't get an email from God, don't worry. You have a love letter from God. And you have this letter in Third John that teaches you what and how to pray for prosperity as we saw last week. And we're going to transition from that. Remember, we, we said there were the practical areas where we want to be praying for prosperity, but then there are the paramount that we're walking with God. And this week, we're going to move into the purpose of prosperity. And then next week, we'll see the peril of prosperity, the wrong kind of prosperity or seeking after the wrong things. And then we'll close out with the pinnacle talking about what it means to have a, a good testimony, a strong spiritual resume. Also, we want to keep in mind that when we talk about prosperity, there often in churches and in pulpits across America today, there are two extremes. There are those who, when they proclaim prosperity messages, they're, they're defining it by worldly aspirations, desiring those things that the carnal mind or the worldly mind would say, this is what tells everybody else that I am prosperous. And then there's the other extreme of neglecting the biblical message of prosperity altogether, not even speaking of aspirations that can be divinely motivated. And so today we're going to talk about the purpose in areas of uh, what God is mobilizing, what God wants us to be motivated by, and then finally the magnification of his name being that greatest purpose behind our prosperity. But knowing, as we read these next four verses, knowing why God prospers us, knowing why God would want us to be prosperous, biblically speaking, in the right things, helps keep our motives pure behind our aspirations. When when we desire prosperity and we think, man, is my heart in the right place by wanting this? Ask yourself, does it align with these principles that we'll see right here in the text? And the first one of those principles that you need to be aware of is that God prospers us for the mobilization of his resources to do his mission. God wants to prosper you Biblically speaking, in those ways we saw last week, in those ways that are practical, as well as those ways that are paramount, God wants to prosper you so that he might mobilize his resources 
to do his mission. Look back at verse 5. And we've talked about the importance of, of being a people of faith and last week walking in the truth. And he says, dear friend, you are showing your faith. Remember what James reminds us again and again, without works, faith is dead. Now, I am not saved by my works, but if my salvation doesn't lead to a transformation to where I become his workmanship, then my faith is dead. It wasn't real. It wasn't authentic faith. And he says, you're showing your faith by whatever you do. Specifically here, he says, for the brothers. So faith is demonstrated by action. It means that it's not enough, as we said last week, to be convicted by the truth. We've got to walk in it. When our convictions fail to become a movement of God, then we have to ask, am I really walking in the truth? God wants us to prosper in walking in the truth. God wants us to prosper, even when he prospers us physically and materially, it's that he might mobilize us and equip us and empower us and provide what he needs for us to do and be mobilized for his mission. And so it mobilizes, it moves us into action. And it says, what you do here, first of all, he says, for the brothers, and he points out later that they are strangers, and this is referring to those who are on mission for the kingdom of God. He says, man, you're getting behind the ministry. <laughs> you're, you're getting behind the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who are proclaiming the word of God, those who are traveling about, making known what was known as in the first century as the way that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's life in him and in him alone. He says, you're getting behind that. Itinerant preachers, evangelists, missionaries, the pastors that were being sent to them. And they, he says, they may be strangers. Now, according to Second John, if you look back in, in, in Second John, you see that in verses 7 through 11, I won't read all of the verses, but there was a test. They had to make sure that they weren't supporting false prophets and false teachers. But those who passed the test, those who believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who had come into the flesh, lived a sinless life, literally died for our sins on a cross, literally and visibly rose from the grave, if they believed the gospel and, and that it was literally true, they, they didn't put question marks on the Word of God. He said, you want to get behind those ministries, and God prospers you and blesses you to mobilize you to support ministry like that. Today, that primarily happens through the local church. Now, there's evidence in the first century. Uh, if you read the Didache, which is the teaching of the apostles, the extra-biblical accounts uh, of standards and procedures for churches and apostles and those who were taking the message and other material that was written at that time, you can learn very quickly that it had become customary for the churches and, and, and those who were the messengers, those itinerant ministers that were out there preaching, it became customary for them not to make demands of the church. They, they wouldn't say, and it bothers me even when this happens today, they didn't say, we will come to your church for this amount of money. If you were an itinerant minister in that day and time, and I think today that those who are in itinerant ministry, whether you're talking about um, uh, preachers and evangelists and missionaries and, and musicians and others even, 
those who make demands. I will only come and minister to your congregation if, if you'll meet a minimum of this right here. Now, should we meet their needs? The other thing that you notice in the teaching is not only did they not make demands and were they forbidden to make certain demands, they were also not in a situation where they often had to because the churches were so well instructed by Paul and the other apostles to take care of those who were preaching the truth and not to entertain those, not to show great hospitality toward those who were preaching lies and heresy. And so, yeah, they didn't make demands, but on the other hand, those evangelists, those missionaries shouldn't have to. And and by the way, I want to give a, a big thanks to you as a church because whenever we have an evangelist, whenever we have Uh, a missionary speaker or someone come and we take up a love offering for them, you guys always go above and beyond to bless them, not only to cover their needs for being able to minister to us, but to empower them, and it should be that way. We should be able to empower them in such a way that they can say yes to another engagement regardless of what they would get paid for that engagement. And so I appreciate that about our church. And so many of you have a great bit of discernment, and you can discern where Man, God's got his hands on this ministry and and this individual's preaching and standing for the truth, and you've always supported those kinds of ministries. It's the mobilization of God's resources to do his mission. And so not only do we support missionaries and evangelists and ministries denominationally, but we go beyond our denomination supporting those representing Jesus Christ throughout the kingdom of God and around the world, and we want to continue to mobilize our resources to do so. Now look at verse 8. It's kind of sandwiching the other two principles here, this first principle that we're looking at. But he says, therefore, we ought to support such men so that we can be co-workers with the truth. We're not just mobilizing our resources to bless others on the way. We realize that we are ourselves being mobilized because we are co-laborers. The staff of Trinity Baptist Church and those that we support in missions and other things, we're not the only ministers. Every member of the body of Christ is called to be a minister. As you find your gifts, your calling, your passions, your place of service, some will be before the crowd and others will be behind the scenes, but every co-laborer is important. It's important that we are all mobilized. See, God's resources aren't just material God's resources are human resources. (laughs) You and I are the resources of God, and he wants us to be mobilized as co-workers and co-laborers, partners in ministry in the kingdom of God. And so I'm so thankful for so many of you have embraced your role in that partnership. That's why God blesses you spiritually and materially and physically is so that he might mobilize to whatever stewardship he has given you is that he might mobilize that, those resources so that you use them for the glory of God. When we're not using our spiritual gifts, our spiritual resources, our wisdom and our talents, when we're not using our financial and material resources, then we're missing out on the very reason God prospered us. How many of you have ever coached t-ball in your life before? Anybody? All right, isn't that fun? I think that was more fun than I've ever had coaching at any level, t-ball. Now, I, I do remember, you know, begging a kid to come out from behind 
uh, a pole. He was crying, and he didn't want to play baseball anymore, but Mama was making him play, and he was fed up with it. And I also remember those games where a kid gets a glove, and, and probably Mom and Dad spent more on that glove for a five-year-old than they should have. And, and you're standing there, and you're like, you're playing a ball game, and you want the, you want the third baseman just to be ready. And his glove's on his head. His, his imagination is somewhere else. He's got dirt in his hands. His ball glove is on his head. He's wearing it like a hat. He probably put dirt in the glove before he put it on his head. And you're like, that's not what your glove's for. But he's young. He's learning the fundamentals of the game. There's always that kid who gets it, right? There's that kid who's five, six years old, and they're making diving play, plays and turning double plays and running people down and and you're like, wow, man, that kid gets it early. But for the most part, you're dealing with kids who don't even know how to use the equipment that they've been handed. I mean, that, that ball bat, you have to remind them, that wasn't for you to kill the little bugs on the ground. That's for you to step up to the tee and, and swing. So they've been given something, but they've got to learn how to use it. Later on, you watch them develop, and you see that kid when he's 12, 13, and 15, and 16. Man, he learned how to use the equipment. She learned how to use that equipment, not standing there. So many times I think God looks at the church, and he looks at what he's blessed us with, and he looks at what he's given us materially. He's looking at what he's given us spiritually speaking, and he goes, you're standing there with your glove on your head. Mobilize it. Put it into use. Use it for the kingdom of God, whatever stewardship he's given you, we see here that this is to here be a blessing to the brothers, but not only to the brothers, not only those who were ministering and serving and traveling, but we were all to be co-laborers in this work, in this gospel, mobilizing those resources for God's glory. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus reminded his followers that those who cooperate with those who are proclaiming the truth will receive a prophet's reward. You may say, Pastor Robbie, I could never stand and preach, and, and I may never go to another country on a mission trip, but boy, I'll, I'll be there to pray for you. I'm going to give to support the trip. I'm going to cooperate. We're not going to come against it, not going to complain about it happening or us spending money on missions and things like that. We're going to get behind it. And the Lord Jesus says, you're going to get the prophet's reward because you got behind ministries like that. The mobilization of the resources of God, prayer, encouragement, service, using your gifts, giving, surrendering all that God has blessed you with. And I've noticed this often happens privately. People don't, people don't make a show of this sort of thing. They just say, if there's a need for the cause of Christ, I want to be mobilized to meet that need. Even when people step up to the plate and take responsibilities like they have over the past week because of families in our church in need. I love when that happens for the kingdom's sake and to be a great witness to this world. Number two, what's another check mark? Can we say, are my aspirations pure this morning? Am I desiring prosperity for the right reasons? Well, no, number two, here, God prospers us, reminding us that the motivation comes from God's love to do our part in the mission. The motivation comes from God's love in the midst of him blessing us. He says, they have testified, verse 6, 
they have testified to your love before the church. When these strangers, when these itinerant ministers came and, and they talked with me about having come through your church, Gaius, who's being addressed, this dear friend who's receiving this postcard, he says, man, they can just tell you love people. You've been touched by the love of God, Gaius, and this agape love, you're passing that love, you're forwarding that love on to others. They testify. You've got a good testimony concerning your love for people. He says, you'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. God blesses you because he loves you. Isn't it wonderful to think that God just, God just opens up heaven and he blesses me because he loves me? But yet, in the midst of that blessing, I am motivated by his love to be a blessing to others. That my motivation in ministry is because God so loves me, as we saw in, in our Advent series If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We ought also to love those who know the Lord, and we ought also to love those who don't know the Lord, and love becomes our motivation. He says, you have a testimony of being a channel of God's love. And we can sit back and enjoy the blessings of God. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits, those things he has blessed, blessed me with, that, that he forgives all my sins, he heals all my diseases, he restores my youth like the eagles, he crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. God blesses me so that I will be so overwhelmed by his love for me that I am motivated to pay it forward, to love other people and to allow him to love through me. We're not to be selfish with the love of God and say, man, well, I sure am glad God loves me. We're to be a channel of that love and and that grace and pay it forward. He says, sending them on in a manner worthy of God. Man, you sent them on in a way. You poured your love into others in a manner worthy of God. That kind of showed that, man, you get it. You You understand God loves you and that you're to pay that love forward. And you've got a good testimony, Gaius. A good testimony, he said, because of this love. And so he trusts us and prospers us more as a channel of his love. As we're going to send others on in a manner worthy of God. In 2013, two young ladies, Hannah and Haley, 16 and 14, found their dad trapped under a tractor, pinned and it was suffocating and could have taken his life. These two young ladies were able, inexplicably, to, to, to lift this tractor off of their father. Human strength is not supposed to be able to do that, these two teenage girls, but they were able to lift this tractor off of their father. And scientists today explain these events, and there have been a number of them throughout history. I think sometimes the angels just show up and say, I've got you, but scientists, doctors have explained this as hysterical strength, where people have fought off bears, lifted vehicles, held on to someone by the wrist, hanging from a cliff for life, 
with superhuman strength. They, they, they called this hysterical strength that somehow the emotions and the adrenaline of the moment gives you superhuman strength. Well, I don't know how much of that is supernatural and I don't know how much of that is physiological, but I do know this. When you love somebody that much, you're able to do things that can't be explained, humanly speaking. You're willing to step in. You're willing to try anything because you love someone. And in Scripture, when it comes to our being about the gospel ministry, that there is a sin-fallen world that is sin-sick and in need of a Savior, and they're destined to a Christless hell until they come to faith in Jesus Christ, then the love of God should be our motivation to be mobilized. The love of God should say, I want to do something about this. And then God comes in and supernaturally empowers you and me. He prospers us so that we might be a blessing to others. And it's the motivation of love that changed our lives when we understand. Listen, there's a lot of mysteries in the Bible I may never get my mind around. But the greatest mystery is that God loves me. God loves you. This love served as a motivation for Gaius. He had a good testimony of that love, that compassion. What motivates, motivates you to stay mobilized in ministry? Perhaps it's that you need to reignite that love for Jesus. Restore that first love, that preeminent, that, that, that number one love in your life. But perhaps also you need to ask Jesus, to fill you afresh and anew with his Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is, where does it start? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so asking God for, God, fill me afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit that I might love people the way you love people. The, the love God gives me for my family is a stronger love because I understand his love. The love God's given me for his church, for this community, for the people in this world who need Jesus. The love that he gives me to, to move me and motivate me is greater than anything I could ever comprehend. And, and so we want that love, the love that he gives us to flow through us and to touch the lives of others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says we are compelled by the love of Christ. When he talked about the ministry of reconciliation and why they're doing what they're doing, he goes, we can't help. We're constrained. It's like love has apprehended us. Love has arrested us, and we can't help but because of our love to go do what God has called us to do. Why do we give? Why do we go? Why do we pray? Why do we serve? Why do we sacrifice to go on a youth trip? Why do we take another time in the nursery? Why do we give and go and serve and pray? It's because the love of God constrains us. And if it's not compelled by the love of Jesus Christ, then eventually it will become drudgery. Not only will you not enjoy it anymore, you'll make the people around you miserable in the process. But when you're serving out of love, when you're serving out of love, then all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit just seem to follow the the joy comes and the peace and the patience. I can, I can serve patiently because I love you. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I want a testimony of love. 
And finally, let's not forget what it's ultimately all about. Perhaps the greatest aspect of our purpose here in these verses is found in the next verse, in verse 7, the magnification of God's name, which, by the way, is our mission. The magnification of God's name. When God made himself seeable, touchable, knowable, he took on a name. Yeshua in the Hebrew, Jesus in the Greek, it's the name Jesus. He took on a name that we might know him, Jesus, God's salvation. Notice in verse 7, Not only were they sent on in a manner worthy, they set out for the sake of the name. He says, you're getting behind those who are out there for the sake of the name. You get fired up about being mobilized and motivated for the sake of the name, that name which is above all names, the name Jesus Christ. He says, not only that, You were so moved and motivated for the sake of the name that they didn't have to take anything, it says, from the pagans or the Gentiles. In the Greek, it's ethnikos. He said, they didn't ask anything from the unbelieving crowds. Now, for those of you who have been a part of Trinity for a long time, you kind of know my weird, strange policy. Some of you thought it was weird and strange. Now, many of you get it and understand it. And those who are new, maybe this will explain it. But I've never believed it was the will of God for the body of Christ to go out and ask a lost world to support God's mission. We will do fundraisers from time to time that target you. (laughs) We do what Baptists do, right? We eat another meal and give you a chance to give. We will do things to make needs known to the body of Christ. Our God supplies all of our needs according to his riches. In glory, he prospers his people for his purposes. This pastor learned a long time ago, the church doesn't have to go out and do bad car washes and stand on a street corner selling donuts to ask people who don't know the Lord to provide for the Lord's work. Whenever we're seen in public, whenever we're seen in the presence of a lost community, we want to be the ones that are giving, not taking. We have the love of Christ. We have the message of the gospel to take to them. These leaders had to ask nothing from the pagans, nothing from the Gentiles, nothing from those who were outside the faith because the church was doing what the church was called to do because they wanted to do what? They wanted to do this for the sake of the name, the the magnification of God's name so that we're seen in the public eye being all about making his name Known. That name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's the name that the Bible says 
Uh, apart from that name, there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. The magnification of the name of Jesus is so important because he is the only one who saves, delivers, heals, and makes us brand new in Christ. This world needs us to magnify that name. We have so much to offer, and we should have so little to ask of them because we are about his purposes. And when we begin to prosper in so many areas, whether you're talking about him blessing your health, blessing you materially, pouring out his spirit upon you, showing you your spiritual gifts, all of that prosperity is to be channeled toward us being mobilized for his mission, motivated by his love, that we might magnify the name of Jesus. Many of you saw this week that my, one of my heroes in the faith, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Bill Bennett, who preached here early on in my time at Trinity, back when he was a young man in his late 70s. Dr. Bennett was a remarkable man if you were ever around him to go uh, with us to eat dinner and things like that. He always asked me to get get a group of young, strong men. He would say, Robbie, you got some young, strong men in your church. Get a group of young, strong men and let's go to dinner and let me just kind of pour my life into them. And, uh, I tell you, it was in the, in the late 1990s at a, at a strategic time in my life that it was those Friday mornings. Men, if you want to know why I like to get men together on a Friday morning at 6 o'clock, blame Dr. Bennett, it was his fault. But at those Friday mornings at 6 o'clock, if I showed up at 6.02, Tina would be upset. She would say, you better be on time because if it's two minutes after, he calls the house and he'll wake up Ken, who was a baby at the time. He was writing his life in the work of the ministry book. He was just pouring himself into me and a couple of other young guys. I remember when he came here to preach the second time, he had launched something called Mentoring Men for the Master. As he got into his late 70s and into his 80s, he would say again and again and again, he would say, these are the most fruitful years of my life. He saw First Baptist Fort Smith, Arkansas grow to 8,000 members when he was pastor there, and then he went to an even larger church in northwest Texas before he retired in Wilmington, North Carolina. He had, he had pastored thousands and thousands of people in these mega churches, but he said that this mentoring young man, he said, these are the best years of my life. When his wife passed away and I went to have prayer with him back about seven years ago, I had to wait on him to get back from jogging in his late 80s at this time. Had to wait on him to get back from his three-mile jog because he wanted to be at his very best as long as he could be because as God prospered him, he was pouring that. He, He did not believe in retirement. You know, another hero of the faith, the founder of Awana International, passed away last week, Art Rohrheim. Art Rohrheim said he couldn't find retirement anywhere in the Bible. (laughs) What do men like this teach us as we seek to learn from those heroes of the faith like that? Man, we want to be constantly mobilized, not taking a vacation on God. We want His love to compel us to stay in the fight, to keep taking Jesus to the world and to magnify his name in all we do. I want to challenge you, church, 
Let's recommit ourselves as a church body to get behind ministries like that. Let's recommit ourselves to be constantly a ministry like that. Moved by the love of God and always, always magnifying, exalting the name of Jesus above every name. What that means to you personally is between you and God, but I pray his spirit will show you your gifts, your passions, where he's prospered you, that you might use it for his purposes. And not as we'll see next week, like Diotrephes, selfish purposes. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for life in him. We thank you for so many who have carried the torch from the days of the apostles, even to today, those who've inspired our lives and many who have gone on to be with you. Lord, we thank you for that great cloud of witnesses cheering us on today. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so mobilize us, so motivate us by your love, Lord, that that prosperity that you've blessed us with, all things in which we prosper, Lord, that we might use it to magnify the name of Jesus in this world. May we be found faithful, we pray in Jesus' name.